0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody. We're live with another Ducks win that we get to talk about after last game. I've been looking forward to this one so much, Eddie. Ducks cleaning up in overtime 2-1 to one. Who else other than Ricard Raquel to bury the overtime winner? Spoiler alert as we break down this game. I have to talk about it a little now because I listened to part of the third period all the way home. When I was driving home, I saw most of the game. And then overtime, I couldn't wait. And I was probably bit off all my fingernails watching this game, Eddie. How about (laughs) you? The Ducks had so many chances and just couldn't find a way home on quick. And then Rack City comes up huge.
1: I mean, it, this this was such a, a nice rebound game from the boring games we were getting uh, in the last few, and to have Raquel win it in overtime. And it, I mean, this was just a crazy game. This was a fun game to watch throughout. I, I mean, even the third period. I think there was only a total of nine shots between both teams, and it was still an exciting game. The only downside, I think, is is that LA gets a point, but who cares? I mean, we're not gonna we're not gonna dwell on that. We're gonna talk about the Ducks having a big OT win against the Kings, the biggest game of their regular season. It's probably the biggest game the Ducks have had in a regular season game in I don't know how long. I mean, this was just insane, and uh, I, I think everybody's happy right now that they're going home with two points.
0: When you win the Pacific Division year after year after year, you don't have these types of games yeah. in a regular season. It just You just don't. Um, we really expected this to come out and be a monster game for both teams, and the Ducks had the benefit of the Kings playing on the second half of a back-to-back, so... They needed to take advantage of it. And I felt like the Kings stuck with them. I felt like this was a good game back and forth. But I just, I was so happy to see that finally just end in overtime. I was like, don't go to a shootout. we got to end it here. We can't risk that. Gatsloff with a monster game. Um, Nick Ritchie, who's just been buried by everybody across social media or in the media in general of how bad his play has been as of late. Chips in. And then, of course, Ricard Raquel, who's just been the sniper for the Ducks all year, gets the goal to win it. Let's get to the pregame really briefly because we we got to talk about how awesome this game was. JT Brown finally slots back into the lineup, and which is a great thing, I feel like. The speed was much needed in this game. Uh, the Ducks did you know, scratch Vermette, and then unfortunately Terry gets scratched, Walensky gets scratched, Holzer, and then Kelly, Captain Canada, not playing tonight, Eddie. I know that really hurts <laughs> your feelings just because of how much of a prominent player and a leader he has been for Canada. And uh, you know, although they didn't win the gold, it's important that he plays on Anaheim, your favorite team. How and long are course, we gonna
1: dwell on this before for the rest of my life <laughs> <But> before <laughs> until life he's no longer ducks. a duck? Like <laughs> so I have to deal with this until free agency and then if he signs a one year contract, I think we're gonna have to do it with... 82 episodes of this next season
0: <laughs> of how good or bad he's been yeah, no, I'll definitely bring it up every t- every chance, like anytime that his name is in the notes <sighs> it's definitely going to pop up on the podcast and then of course, to round out the starting lineup John Gibson, our Vesna vote-earning goaltender I feel like he should be anyway so do you and many others gets to start in the crease against Quick uh, Quick is no slouch himself this season, he's having a hell of a year so it was a great matchup for these two guys this first period, um, I really, really felt like the Ducks had their chances in this first period, but it was kind of a bit of a back and forth, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, um, I, I got I to cut you off again, because this is two shows in a row now where you have forgotten our intro. Well, I got too excited.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> Dean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's is, get the intro started, Eddie. You the
1: the counter's life. up to two. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see how many <laughs> shows it goes after this. <laughs> Get by Benning, Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center, Perry, score, Corey Perry, oh well, yeah, able to shake away from Solani, it's given away to Now now we can get into the first period. So um, now you can
0: jab at me with that. It's two shows in a row I've been very unprofessional and been overexcited to talk and went ran over our intro. Well,
1: th- this game's understandable. I mean, this is an exciting win, so I can understand wanting to get into the breakdown. But let's uh, let's jump into it. So looking at what we have here, I mean, there, there wasn't a ton going on early on. There was a lot of good pressure from Anaheim, but uh, I guess the first thing that really happened was there was a turnover early, And Gibby has to make a save on Carter in the slot. And I feel like this has been a part of our our postgame notes for probably the last 10 games, where we talk about Gibby making an early save and and having to to keep the Ducks in it early on.
0: No, it's true. And it
1: usually comes from sloppy play.
0: That's just generally what it's been by. And without Gibson to make this save early, you kind of wonder where the Ducks would be throughout this season. We've talked so much about how much he's carried this team. And even though the save... Um, you know, the, who knows how the how the game would have turned out. They need these types of saves early. It's it's a confidence builder, it's something the Ducks you know can look back on and be like, all right, that was our guy saving our bacon again, night in, night out.
1: Yeah, and the play just kind of continued a, a little bit back and forth for most of the first period. There's a lot of good pressure from the Ducks. Torrey Mitchell had another chance in the circle where Gibby just got enough of a rolling puck, but it, it kind of seemed like Anaheim was pushing the pace early, and then of course. Cogdano and Kessler collide at the blue line. It gives Doughty all kinds of space to just walk in, and he fires it top corner on Gibson. And this is just kind of a typical goal for the Ducks to give up, just a miscue at the blue line, and it allows Doughty to make it one nothing Kings.
0: I mean, it went off the crook of the arm, I felt like, on Gibby, He almost had that. Like, he almost had that next save, and we would have been like, thank God. But, I mean, you give Doughty that much time, he's world class. He's going to find a hole and he did and I mean, he makes no mistakes on that play.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you know, you, you can't give a guy like that that much space and uh, you can't fault Gibby and, and really it it's just such an unfortunate play. You don't want to really want to pass the blame on to anybody. It's just Cogdander and Kessler getting a little bit mixed up and unfortunately it leads to a goal. But uh, right after that, I mean the Ducks had one of their best chances in the first period and this is a, a theme throughout the entire game where Getzlaff is able to find Perry wide open on the back post. He just can't handle the pass. Had a wide open net. And and it would have been 1-1. He just couldn't handle it.
0: You know what the great thing about this, though, is? If I just made sense right there. The great thing about this (laughs) is the Ducks get scored on. They don't let down. They don't get beaten down. They didn't suck the air out of the building. It was still just everything was humming along. The Ducks still look fresh. And this is something we haven't really seen all that much as of late. And they... It didn't seem to hurt him. And it just the play of the Ducks, especially by Ryan Getzloff. I mean, he, how many times did he find Perry tonight?
1: Uh, it was I don't want too far ahead. Yeah, Unreal
0: <laughs> Perry. This game could have easily been 6-1 Anaheim yeah. uh, just based on how much Ryan Getzloff dominated this game. But, yeah, Perry just off the heel of the stick, wide on quick.
1: Yeah, and, and like you said, I mean, the Ducks just continued to push the play after this. There was a chance where Cogliano threw the puck on net. Bounced around a bit, but nobody could get the stick on it. Quick was able to cover that. Then Getzlaff finds Manson coming into the zone late, and it would have been a good shot on net, but it hits Perry in front. And then the last chance comes on where a puck came loose behind the net, and Derek Grant has a beautiful chance in front, but again, it's saved by Quick. I mean, he was on he was on fire early, and he was really good throughout the entire game for LA. But it shows because he he was the only rested king in this game, and he was he was on point for most of the game.
0: No, he was. It, it's hard for me to go after him this game. I love, I love going after Quick. Anybody who knows me from uh, Puck Guys knows that I go after Quick. I have so many friends who say this guy's elite. And I'm like, he's had like elite seasons, like he's had good seasons, but I mean, really the most of his play is average. I feel yeah. like. But I mean, this game he was he was spectacular. This game, I mean, through and through. I mean, maybe at the OT goal you could fault him, but I mean, other than that, Quick was uh, you know on his game tonight.
1: Yeah, and then LA kind of comes right back, and I guess this, other than the goal, this is really their only significant chance of this period. And uh, Clifford comes back the other way right after that Grant chance, gets a, a good uh, chance on Gibson, who makes a save. And there's a good rebound shot, but uh, the net actually came off before the shot comes off. Gibson makes the save anyway. Still makes the save. Yeah, he still, he's still <laughs> and that, the second save was better than the first one, but uh, he didn't have to because the net comes off. Couple more chances to round out the the first period. Manson had a good shot that created a rebound. Kessler couldn't poke it past Quick, and then I just have written here. I mean, the game has just been crazy to this point. I mean, it was back and forth hockey throughout the entire first period. It was just a, it was just nuts at that point. I mean, this is the the game you kind of expect between these teams. Nothing really feisty going on too much in the first period, but just some exciting hockey.
0: Yeah, how about that little shake and bake Raquel had on Dowdy? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Just walked right around him. I made sure I texted my Kings buddies
1: that right away. So like, hey, did yeah. you see
0: that? Did you see that play? <laughs> I know you love Dowdy, but come on, he burned Raquel's him a couple times.
1: Moves. Yeah, he he, he, he did. He, he can burn anybody though. I mean, uh, when he's on his game, uh, he has the ability and the skill set to pretty much burn anybody. And and Doughty's a norse winning defenseman, and he made him, he made him look silly. Turn him around on that play.
0: That wow, was great, man. So that would end the first period. The Ducks would get the uh, the shot advantage, 16-10. to Kings with the one nothing lead heading into the second.
1: Yeah, and it was I think it was a good solid first period. And the Ducks continued that early on in the second. They had some good pressure to start. Uh, and it led to uh, and Getzlaff and Perry 2-1. on and, and this is what we're talking about with Getzlaff finding Perry, but he just couldn't bury it again. I mean, they made some pretty passing, but no finish on the play.
0: No, and I just... That's the play where I felt like Getz probably should have shot that just because yeah. he, can, he can laser that into a corner. He doesn't use his uh, his shot enough, and I know everyone's ragged on him. He's been asked probably countless times by reporters why he doesn't shoot more. And he's just going to tell you that's not his game. But, I mean, if Perry just gets any sort of, like, handle on that, Quick is down and out on his side, no chance. It's just a story of the night for Perry, but luckily it didn't hurt the Ducks.
1: Yeah, and if Getzleff wasn't getting it done enough on the offensive side, he comes back the other way. And blocks what would have been a sure goal from Ledoux uh, with his foot. I mean, it was a sprawling block, just getting it done on both ends of the ice this game. I and mean, he was easily the Ducks' best player against the
0: Kings' fourth line. If I if I remember correctly, yeah. right? That's what I just was like. Why are they having a dominant shift? This should not be happening. This should not be happening. <laughs> and luckily, Guess was there with the skate to deflect it over the net.
1: Yeah, and the Kings actually took control. Of this second period. There's a lot of turnovers from the Ducks. Uh, the Kings are making it hard for the Ducks to exit their own zone. Uh, and this led to what we kind of see as a trend. As of late, Gibson having to make some solid saves. He stops Kempe on a two-on-one because, of course, he does. I mean, he, he just has that ability as of late to make key saves. And then Josh Manson. I think this is what people were waiting for. He just leveled Kyle Clifford at center ice. I mean, he just rocked him. And then he goes and he rocks Mitchell about a minute later as well.
0: I got to go back to the whole play where Kempe had the two-on-one and toe-drags it into his skates. As much as I was, like, flipping out about Fowler sliding over trying to take him out, like, he put Kempe in a position where he couldn't get a lot on that shot. So, I mean, as much as I was going to get pissed about it, it like, thankfully, it pushed him far enough back. But those hits by Manson, everyone wishes, at least if you're – if you don't like the Kings, that Manson was lining up Copatar or something like that, of course. Um, but he gets the big hit, hit on Clifford there. Clifford's a big dude, so yeah. you know that that was just a lot of power in that hit. And then were you not waiting for the, the penalty call on Josh Manson for the hit on
1: Tori Mitchell? I thought I, for yeah. sure
0: there was going to be a penalty.
1: I, I thought so too, but the refs were calling this game tight. I mean, there was nothing getting called. Later on, we'll get to it too. I mean, Getzloff got, gets tripped up, I think, in the third period. Uh, and for North at one point slashed JT. Brown and there was no call, they were not calling anything in this game, which I, I guess I kind of enjoyed it a bit. I mean it made it uh, less whistles. There wasn't a lot of uh, power plays that really shifted the play so in some cases I liked it, but yeah I, I really was waiting for some kind of interference call a roughing call or something because he, he and he doesn't necessarily hit him high, but he had his hands up near his face.
0: Yeah, and they usually always just you know they always shy on the side of caution. Yeah. and they just they always make that sort of call. and then on the replay, I'm sure everyone just saw his arm extend even though he'd already hit him. it would like he didn't lead with an extension, but I thought for sure they were gonna call something. so luckily they didn't, but you're right, they kind of had their whistles away, which really added to the playoff feel of this game because you don't really see a ton of calls. Um, but I was also surprised too Eddie, about the lack of nastiness in this game. This game didn't get crazy. There was a couple yeah. of plays by you know Perry being Perry or Kessler doing Kessler stuff in front of the net but no one got crazy. I really felt like this game was played really tight and physical and that neither team wanted to give the other the other team a power play. It just they were just like no, we can't make that kind of mistake.
1: Yeah, it was playoff hockey. I I mean that's a, it was just close at least as playoff hockey as you can get during the regular season. Uh, they knew that they weren't going to give the other team a power play. There was some some rough stuff after the whistle, but nobody took it too far. Just uh, to let guys know that they're still here, that there's still some nastiness there. But, yeah, no, I don't think anybody was willing to get in a fight tonight or risk taking an instigator penalty or any kind of penalty and putting the other team on the power play because uh, this was as tight as a game. I think you could get between these two teams, and we see it often. I mean, we see it with the Ducks and the Sharks. We see it with the Ducks and the Kings often. I think nobody's surprised that this one came out and it ended up 2-1. to one. Uh, looking at the chat, uh, when we were talking about uh, Josh Manson, he said he's like a brick wall. I think that's probably the perfect description for Josh Manson, or at least for when people run into him. I feel like that's what they're thinking because he hits hard. I mean, he's a, he's a big guy to begin with, but he most of his hits, he just levels guys.
0: Yeah, and he doesn't miss too many of them. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that's great about him. If he's going to go out of his way to hit you, it's because he knows he has position. And he knows he's going to get you. He hasn't been caught yet that I remember. I haven't seen any glaring mistakes. Like you've seen the older guys have that problem. You've guys like, trying to run their A-day back and, you know, trying to bring their 20s to their late 30s and missing hits. But you don't see that from Manson, which is great.
1: Yeah. And we'll, we'll get back here to, to kind of review in the second period. But uh, a play here for Kessler again. So the puck comes off the boards to Kessler. His shot is stopped. And the rebound comes over to Silverberg, and this kind of seemed to be something that happened all game, where the Ducks were getting a lot of rebounds off Quick, but they just went not over to, to be able to lift it over him. And this kind of reminds me of something we talked with Paul about when we were talking about John Gibson and stuff came about Jonathan Quick. He just does stuff you don't have names for. I mean, he's just such an unorthodox guy. He seems to be always out of position because he plays so high out of the crease. But he always has the athleticism to just get over and make the save, or, or be able to make it difficult for guys to get the puck over him. He, it's so weird to watch, but it's also mesmerizing at the same time because of because of his athleticism.
0: No, it's true. I was watching the game with uh, my buddy Jay. You know, he's a goalie. He's he's over on he has, uh, does the other show with me, and he, he and I were talking about it. And he's like, the thing about Quick is he recovers so fast because of his athleticism. He's able to get close. And on that play by Silverberg, if you watch that replay, he pushes, 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 pushes until he's like so close to the puck that it's really hard to lift it over. He, he, like you said, he does those things that are so unorthodox and that no one really has names for it, and, and he's made a living off of them. So, I mean, good on him.
1: Yeah, and then right after this, I had written in the notes before the goal that Kasha has just been everywhere and he's looked very good tonight. And of Finally. course, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and of course, after this, he has one of his best shifts – of his career, sets a Boschman on the point, and it creates a rebound in front for who other than Nick Ritchie, who I, I would guarantee probably nobody had for the first goal tonight. He swipes it home, tied at one. Just, uh, you know, after a period where the Ducks didn't look that great, this was a huge goal to tie it at one.
0: I feel like Ritchie could really put himself in front of the net in that position more and more and bang home rebounds like that. I don't know how he only has nine goals on the year. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. get it because... He's such a big body, and he yeah. was able to get position in front of the net, and no one's going to move him.
1: I, I think so, and, and I mean, this is kind of foreshadowing a bit what we're going to talk about after the game. But this can't necessarily be good for Troy Terry and his spot on that line. The fact that you know Kasha, Henrik, and Richie look great tonight; they seem to get back in the mix. Not saying he won't get in the lineup, and I, when it's not something we're going to discuss right now, but it, it definitely doesn't look good if he's going to slot back in with the team. Uh, rounding out the second period here, there was uh, a couple more plays, and I had wrote here that laugh has found Perry with about five beautiful passes today, and no dice. And uh, there was a couple people in the chat talking about the fact that Perry was missing a lot of opportunities. To be fair, though, not not all of them were ones you would say, yeah, he, that's that's on him. He's got to score that. A couple of them were behind him. A few of them were bouncing. So I, I don't want to put all the uh, I don't want to be too harsh on Corey Perry. I I feel like he was getting a lot of flack tonight for not burying those, but some of them were hard passes to handle.
0: I'm sure a little bit got to him too. You know what I yeah. mean? After the first few, especially the backdoor play, that should have been just a slam dunk on the side of quick and he healed it and it went wide. I felt like once you start missing plays like that all night, maybe you're like, this is not going to happen for me maybe, right? I mean,
1: yeah. that's
0: how I would feel. would be like, okay, am I really missing every single one of these? Um. I know you're right. Not everything was picture-perfect. Chris passes. He was having to deal with some issues on, on receiving the pass. And, he did the, you know, he made his made the best of it, I felt like. At least he was noticeable. That line was yeah. all over the place. Getzloff dominated the game, and he carried um, a lot of the play for Anaheim. He's just a beast. But, I mean, Perry was noticeable getting his chances. Yeah,
1: he he was usually the the Ducks' best player the night Getzloff was. But that rounded out the second period. Shots were 11-10 Anaheim and, uh, in that period. And then they finished 27-20. And the Ducks actually continued a power play into the third period because Alex Martinez took a delay of game penalty. I believe this was the first penalty of the game. I'd have to. Yep. I believe, And I think it was the first and only penalty of the game. So they weren't calling anything. I mean, they have to call this because he just airmailed it into the seat. So you can't let that one go. So they started the third on the power play, but you're going against the top penalty kill in the National Hockey League. They had nothing going but then Henry, uh, Kasha, and Richie, as we've already mentioned, continuing to make things happen. Uh, if Getzlaff and Perry and Raquel weren't uh, the top line tonight, I feel like these guys definitely take some consideration because uh, they got back in the good books tonight. They needed to. They, we needed a big game from them. Um, I know yeah. that they, they've been
0: quiet. Maybe a goal here and there from those guys, but never anything consistent. They weren't as dominant as we'd seen earlier on. I just I was really impressed. I was really and the the person that I was really impressed with though was was Kasha. I really yeah. felt like he probably, like you said, played his maybe his best game or like top three games of the season.
1: Yeah, there's some of these games where he's just on point, and he's one of the best players on the ice. And there's some games where he just kind of disappears, and then that whole line disappears. It's like the energy isn't there. He he really is the energy guy for the Ducks, and when he's on his game, he just he gets everything going for everybody else. But uh, skipping forward here because really not much happened in this third period. Up until the five minutes remaining, the shots were 3-2 L.A. in this third period. Really nothing going on. The refs weren't calling anything. And the, the chances didn't really come until about the final couple minutes where L.A. had two very good chances. Kempe burned Manson, got a half break, which was stopped by Gibson. And then about 30 seconds later, Pearson breaks in, and that's also stopped by Gibson. So Gibson showing why we've considered him for the Vesna, just making two huge saves to get the Ducks that extra point. 9.66
0: save percentage for Gibby after tonight. Uh, and yeah. tonight's game, anyway. He's killing it right now. Um, not much you can say about that third period, though. I mean, both teams locked it down. I mean, I know the Kings outshot him 7-2 to two that period, but it was really quiet until the end. Like, they really, 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 both teams, like, we need the point. We need the point. We need the point. Like, don't only really take a gamble if you know you're going to make it. Um, and that's just kind of where the third period went.
1: Yeah, and then we, we go into overtime. Shots were 29-27 Anaheim, so not much going on in the third period. The beginning of overtime kind of mirrored what we had saw in the third period. Both teams kind of feeling each other out. Not a lot of chances back and forth. And then all of a sudden it just opened up. I mean, guys must have got tired. There was back and forth plays on either end. And then Getzlaff. Makes an amazing move, which we didn't catch on a gift. But we're going to have to get later, but he drags it between his legs. And I think we're all hoping that he'd score on that play, but it's not really something you expect from Getzlaff. You know he has it in his arsenal, but it was just an insane move. I mean, if he had scored on that, that's that's number one for. I mean, that's that's got to be goal of the season or close to it. it. They needed him to score that, man.
0: I felt like. I mean, I know they ended up not needing it because of Raquel. Yeah. But I just that whole building would have just blown the roof off after that kind of move. Uh, what a play by Gatsloff! He just does things at will, it seems like, at times, on the ice. Um, I mean, really. like That guy, could, could, when he has the puck on a stick, he controls the game. He finds the open man. He'll pull the puck out of the zone and bring it back in when they're in overtime. Um, just, I don't know, man. I would have flipped out. I thought it went in for a second because I didn't know where the puck went after he took that shot.
1: Yeah, for for the couple seconds, at least on the broadcast, it looked like it had gone in. A lot of people behind the net celebrating because it, it kind of looked like it went high. And then, of course, he doesn't score. But like you already said, uh, Raquel ends up getting the OT winner. He skates in, makes a little bit of a move inside, and wires it top corner on Jonathan Quick. And what a way to win it. I mean, it, it really felt like it could have been either team who got a point in this overtime. It was back and forth up until that point. You know it's unfortunate that LA gets that one point, but the Ducks needed to, and Raquel, of course, is the hero in OT.
0: No, I mean you kind of felt like the Ducks early on weren't going to be able to trade chances with the Kings, and when the, they started trading chances and it whatever everything turned out to be okay, and then Raquel gets that chance after Getzloff, and my God, what a shot! I know that Quick was a little low and out of position a little bit. I mean, he wasn't even close to making that save. But, I mean, that was just in the perfect spot between the defender's legs. Goes top corner. That's all she wrote, baby. That was just a hell of a game by the Ducks. Um, Got to give them the, uh, the 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 golf clap. That's you know, We've already done all the screaming and yelling to end it. I had to quietly clap because uh, people were trying to sleep in my house. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I try not to scream because <laughs> I was so pumped for that goal, man. Just yeah. a hell of a game by the Ducks to wrap it up 2-1. to one.
1: Yeah, and Christopher brings up a good point in the chat, too. He said, shout out to the Ducks' defensive play as a team tonight. Best gap control I've seen from them in a while. They owned the middle of the ice, and they really did. I mean, you mentioned early on, why couldn't they do that against Vancouver? They saved their best stuff, luckily, against LA. But the defense was on point tonight as well. I mean, the offense took their chances, and they, they controlled their play at times. But the defense was the real star of this game. Yeah, and,
0: you know, if you want to just talk about the D, you could just talk about the you know, the shutdown line of Kessler. They had the best night in as long as I can remember. Yeah. They were just monsters defensively. And they created chances offensively, too. I know they didn't score, but they were all over the ice as well. They all had chances. They're mixing it up. Um, they, I don't know. I feel like every time that Kessler line was on the ice, the Ducks had the puck, and that's what you want. You want them out against the other team's best players, but then you also want to make sure the puck's out of your zone. So, I mean, kudos to them, too. I think they had a hell of a game. Um, and our defense has always been involved, right? I feel like we've been talking about that a lot recently. I mean, Montour yeah. had the primary assist on Raquel's goal. Beauchemin had the another assist from his point shot from Richie. So, yes, the Ducks' defense uh, putting in offensively as much as they've been doing defensively.
1: Yeah, and Kessler's line didn't get an easy assignment. Tonight. They played against Kopitar, Brown, and Pearson. And other than the first goal where Cogliano and Kessler collided – they, you know, That line didn't get anything going. I didn't see many chances from Kopitar after that play, and, and that's a testament to how good that shutdown line was, and, and we really needed them to step up in this game, and it's great that they showed it. Of course, they've been a little bit shaky. They've been kind of showing up in some games and disappearing in others. You know, We, we say every time they have a good game, hopefully this is it, where they start to turn things around. But at least they can get it done in a big game. I think that's important. Obviously, there's another big game coming up against Colorado, who also picked up a win tonight. St. Louis just lost in overtime. So as the night finishes, the Ducks are sitting currently in the first wildcard spot, one point behind L.A. with a game in hand, one point above St. Louis with St. Louis having a game in hand, and one point above Colorado with the same amount of games played. So they're in a pretty good spot. I mean, it, it sucks giving up a point to the Kings but the, the two points in this one was huge because every other team picked up points tonight. It was a must win.
0: We've been yeah. talking about it, right? It was a must win. And they really need to win out at home. I, I just feel like they need to win <laughs> the next three games at home. And then uh, we'll see what we sit before they go to, to uh, Arizona next Saturday. But just a huge two points. There was just no other way to talk about it other than they had to win.
1: Yeah, and uh, Chase and Chris also bringing up a stat about the shutdown line tonight. Kopitar and Brown had zero shots in this game. I yep. mean, that's, that's ridiculous. I didn't even know that. I mean, Kopitar was involved in a couple plays. He obviously got the assist on the Doughty goal. But uh, that is some serious work from that line in limiting Kopitar to zero shots. I mean, this is a guy who's being considered for the heart this year. He's up to 90 points now, and uh, he had no shots. I mean, that's that's just some great work to get that done.
0: So is he – okay, hold on. So question. i got to talk about Kopey real quick. I know he's having a hell of a bounce back here. He's put up a ton of points, and there's a wide margin in, in between how many points he has to the next guy on the team. But if they miss the playoffs, do you still consider him for the heart?
1: I we mean, what happens with Taylor Hall? Yeah. yeah I mean I –
0: mean, it's, it's like yeah. the same thing with Taylor Hall.
1: And Connor McDavid. I, I mean – if he misses the playoffs, I think you can't give it to him because then why would you not? Well, you have to give Connor really you have to give it to Connor McDavid then, right? I mean, if you're going to give it to Kopitar and they miss the playoffs, then you know you might as well give it to Connor McDavid and he has 103 points and he's pacing the NHL by six points. Uh, I, I mean, you might as well give it to him then. Um, and the same goes for Nathan McKinnon. In Colorado might not make the playoffs. I mean, it's insane. The guys that have led their team, four guys who you would say would be. In serious consideration for the heart, aren't going to make the playoffs. And Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, Anze Kopitar, and Taylor Hall. I think they all, in my opinion, are front runners over Kucherov, Malkin, and Claude Giroux. But what? Uh, yeah, I, I honestly, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here because I feel like we're on the verge. But I, I crazy I, I, Canadians, really think McDavid should be in in the heart conversation. I, I do, I do, because. Edmonton is so bad, I understand I don't think he's a favorite, in my opinion But I think he's in the discussion I mean, he's just that good of a player Well, of course he is, valued. because there's nothing yeah. good
0: to talk about in Canada right now
1: I mean, <laughs>
0: <laughs> just the teams There's, I mean, there's no team up there that's frightening other than Winnipeg uh,
1: Well, and the Leafs are actually,
0: okay Yeah, they're alright, that's true But I mean, Winnipeg's dangerous I feel like the Leafs probably get bounced in the first round
1: um, What well, Who's about your favorite, David, though? Who's your favorite, then? If you're not so going to consider... No, uh, for, the, for the heart, if you're not considering McDavid in the discussion. Uh, or if you're going to take out guys who don't make the playoffs. So if you take out Kopitar, McKinnon, Taylor Hall, and Connor McDavid, if all of them did make the playoffs. Oh.
0: Um, hmm. Well, now you're going to put me on the spot like that. <laughs>
1: well, you've got... Kucherov has <laughs> no, got 97.
0: No, 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 I Honestly, I would probably pick... Um, I'd either go with Kucherov or Gennie Malkin.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can't I think... give it
0: to McDavid. He was out there for three straight goals against against Columbus.
1: Yeah. After um, he put up two. You know, I I I got to give some love to Claude Giroux because I feel like he's getting a little bit of uh the shaft in that discussion where he's got 93 points in 78 games and uh he's really led the Flyers him and 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 uh, Voracek to get into a, the playoffs this year. I feel like he's not really into discussion. I mean, he's got 13 more points than than Voracek does. And uh, it really feels like all the discussion is around those four guys, uh, McK- uh, Malkin and Kucherov, and he just is on the outside looking in. So if I had to pick a guy who's going to get in the playoffs, I feel like I'd, I'd pick Claude Giroux. Oh,
0: At least you're not picking McDavid. All right, back to the Ducks. We got to stop this one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we can move into the uh, the post game stuff here. So I think the first thing and the the most influential thing, or the the, the kind of thing that was on the headlines, is the, that Troy Terry was not in tonight's game. And we had talked about it last game where we thought he probably wouldn't get in because of Randy Carlisle. And it was one of those games where you just don't think he's going to throw in a kid into that game. Of course, he doesn't. The good thing is JT Brown came into the game, which I think we were all waiting for him to come back. But was this the right decision or the wrong decision by Randy Carlisle?
0: Um, I don't think it's going to hurt. Troy Terry to play 5-6 minutes a night on the 4th line or 3rd line rather I felt like the, the Ducks had a good thing going Yeah, um, it worked it's one of those things that it worked I mean the Richie, Kasha, and Recline look great tonight they showed up so I mean if you were to ask me pregame I would have said it's a bad idea and I would rather put a guy who's more skilled uh, in the lineup but um, it worked out for Carlisle he looks like a genius take the young kid out, put a veteran in and that's all she wrote
1: yeah, yeah I, you really can't say any more than that because uh, the fact that they won, people are going to say, oh, well, I guess it was a good decision because that line looked really good, and are you going to really play him on the fourth line and play him only five to eight minutes a night? Uh, so I, I can see where they're coming from. I still would have liked to see him in the lineup. Uh, I just think it's it's what's the point, and we we'd mentioned this on, on the Ducks and Pucks podcast, and what's the point of, of burning a guy's ELC if you're not going to play him for the remainder of this season into the playoffs. And that doesn't mean he's not going to play the next few games. Uh, I mean, he, he very well could. But it just feels like the way this team played tonight, Randy Carlisle is going to go into the next game and say, yeah, I'm just going to keep the team the same. You know, they played good. We beat the Kings in overtime and, and played a fairly good game. It's not like L.A.L. played them and they just held on. So it, it kind of feels like one of those situations where Carlisle is just going to go with the exact same lineup for the next game and Troy Terry's not going to play. But we'll have to wait and see. Of course. Yeah. It just, it I feel just like feels do
0: like the
1: that. Same thing, man. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of people in the chat here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Chase brings up an interesting question, kind of on point, saying if Terry doesn't play next game, should they just send him to the Gulfs?
0: <sighs> I mean, if I'm Randy Carlisle, I don't. But Randy Carlisle's probably going to. He's probably not going to play him. I mean, every single game the rest this way, to me, is just as important as tonight. Yeah. Like They need to win against Colorado on Sunday. But then we also need Colorado to beat the Kings on Monday. And then they have two tough games. I don't care what anyone says about Dallas. Dallas played the Ducks really well last game. And then Minnesota, also a close game with Anaheim. Um, and these teams, I don't know. The Ducks look dangerous tonight against the Kings. Didn't look dangerous at the team that's fighting for for Dolan against the Canucks. Yeah. So, I think they need as much offense as they can get, and I would definitely keep Troy Terry up and play him in the lineup. But I don't think Bob Murray and Randy Carlyle are going to. I yeah. think they're just probably they're probably just not going to play him at all, and send him to the. I mean, they should send him to the goals if they're not going to.
1: Exactly. Yeah. If you're not going to play him, then send him to San Diego. Give him give him some game time. Don't have him sitting in the press box. You know, I, I maybe he was a decision they weren't sure if they're going to play him for this game. Then they ultimately ended up not. But if you're not going to play him. But the next game's against Colorado, right? Or is it...
0: Yeah, way, Colorado
1: Sunday. Yeah. If, you're, if you're not going to play him in that game, which is a big game as well, it's almost just as big now as this game against LA is with where Colorado is in the standings, you pretty much have a chance to bury them if you win that game. Um, I don't see them putting him in, so if you're not going to... If, if they've thought now and they, they think that they're going to go with this lineup for next game, then just send him down. Uh, I mean, get him some playing time, have him try out the AHL for the rest of the season if you're not going to bring him up, and then maybe bring him up for playoffs or or just have him as a guy you can call up at some point. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they do, though, because I, I feel like he definitely can help this team offensively. I think he's definitely an upgrade over Chris Kelly, and a lot of people in the chat are saying they would take Brown over Kelly, they'd take Terry over Kelly, so not a, love, not a lot of love for... Um, For Chris Kelly, Captain Canada, in the chat. So,
0: (laughs) yeah, Yeah. your boy. I
1: think I have
0: his jersey on right now.
1: You were bummed he was scratched, I'm sure. Oh yeah, I've got uh, Team Canada (laughs) Olympic jersey, Chris (laughs) Kelly. I've got a bunch of. I've got his whole career of jerseys hanging on my wall. So, (laughs) (laughs) a lot of uh, underrated awards going on in the chat too. Goran Bombay says Kessler's titanium hip for the Masterson, and uh, Getzlaff's foot for the Vesna. So, but for the Pesna. No. <laughs> so, yeah. So there's a there's a couple and uh, an elite uh, one center, uh, Sorry, elite first center, Derek Grant for the Selkie as well. So, so why not? If we're throwing out awards, just uh, throw them out to anybody at this point. Of course. All right. So, I mean, is that it? You want to talk about Troy Terry? Do you want to do you want to throw anything more in there? or Do you think we've kind of covered everything that is to be covered with Troy Terry for now?
0: Yeah, I think we kind of put the cap on Terry for the night. He's he. They need to send him to San Diego if they're not going to play him.
1: That's If he doesn't play Sunday, just send him down. Yeah. Well, I have a question then for you about Andre Kasha. You know, he had another great game tonight. And I talked about the fact where he kind of shows up for some games where he just looks like one of the best players on the ice, and then sometimes he just kind of disappears. What do you think – his realistic potential is do you think he's a top six guy in the long run do you think he's a top nine guy i know we've kind of seen a small sample size of him but uh where do you think he eventually fits in on this roster i mean very
0: promising first real season this year right i mean i felt like uh he's he slotted in well with Henrique and Henrique's not leaving after this season he's got another year on his contract so that's good news for kasha and we pretty much know it's predetermined that richie's not going anywhere um, it'd be a shock to us as we talked about. So they got that line still going. I feel like he's, I feel like he's a good middle six guy. He's never going to be the top line winger. I don't feel like. Um, but I, he's also twenty two. But I mean, I see him sitting right there on the, on the, the second or third line. I I don't have a problem with that at all. I think that's a great fit. He's got the speed to play in different facets of the game as well. He could be a good good penalty go uh, excuse me penalty killer too.
1: Yeah, and, and Matt says in the chat that. uh he is kind of a speed version of Silverberg. Uh, Drew's saying his creativity is great. Doesn't seem like Randy's style, but he'd like to see more of it. And Dean says that he has an incredible potential, but it takes all three of them clicking to see the production. And I think that kind of hits on, on the head right there is, is Yes, Kasha always seems like he he's kind of in the play. Like I said before, he's that energy guy. But if the rest of those guys, if, if Henrik and Richie aren't having a great game, I think it's just kind of hard to see that because he's not really linking up with anybody, and that's not necessarily against him. And most of the time, he ends up ends up looking pretty good and is a spark plug for this team. But I I just I still don't know if I want to say that he's going to be a top six guy down the future. I feel like it's you know we've seen fifty one or fifty three games from him last year, fifteen points. What I guess you consider a breakout year now with thirty six points in the sixty two games that he's played. So it's obviously some improvement there. I think next season is going to be the big one for him. If he can continue to improve on his production and become maybe a 40, 50-point guy, or if he's going to be a guy that sits around 30 and 40 and more of a top-nine guy, kind of like what Silverberg is right now. But there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, when you draft a guy in the seventh round and you get a, a perennial 30 to 40-point guy, I think you'll take that. And he's the type of guy that is going to be successful with his style of play and how the the NHL is going forward. So, you know, I think he's going to be a real valuable piece for this team down the line. I'm just not sure if he's a guy that's eventually going to mold into that top six forward.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like he's middle six at best, right? Second line player at best.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Chase says if Casa if builds off this season and keeps developing his game like Raquel has, he could be a second line guy. And I think so. But it's a lot of ifs at this point, right? I mean, we, we kind of have to see another season from him, I think, to, to really get that full idea of if he's going to continue to keep improving. Just like we kind of felt that way with Raquel when he first started. And he was you know, starting to improve each season, but you just needed to see that continued improvement. And I think we're at the same point with Kasha right now. But there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's always good when you see a guy improve from one season on the other. And, uh, and Matt says here too, it would be nice to see Raquel and Cash on the same line at some point too. That'd be pretty fun. That'd be interesting, right? You get the speed guy with the sniper. I, I like that. You just got to get uh,
0: Perry off that top wing. <laughs> That's the only way that they're <laughs> going to let that happen. Cause, and you can't see that happening, right? I mean, but yeah, you got Raquel, what, his first year, he played four games, his first taste in the NHL, no points. Second season, he played 18 games, he had four assists. Third season, he had 71 games played, 31 points, 9 goals, 22 assists. And then 2015, 2016, 72 games and that's when he had 20. 20 goals, 23 assists. So that's when we knew, okay, cool, there's the step up from 31 to 43 and then 51 last season and 66 this season. So it's not out of the question for Andre Kasia to develop to uh, a a player with a scoring touch like that. It's just we need to see it. So it's hard to judge but like I, I think you'd fit in fine like you said on a second line at best but I mean the middle six guy is not a bad spot to be either.
1: yeah yeah and, and there's nothing wrong with that I, I think that's probably what leads into a bridge deal for him in the off season. is so that I think the organization is kind of waiting to see what type of player he turns out to be as well and that was similar to what Raquel had because uh, Dean had mentioned in the chat saying well, is he wrong and thinking it was similar to Rack's production early on and I think that's they're kind of at similar points in, in their careers based on how their first couple seasons went. You know, the organization gave Raquel that bridge deal or that uh, contract he has now, thinking that uh, he obviously wouldn't explode into the player he is right now, but knowing he might have the potential to increase his production down the road. And I feel like Cash is going to get something similar in that sense where they kind of both hope that uh, his production can continue to increase. Um, do you have anything else, or do you want to move on to the questions? And, and then we'll have, obviously, the, the preview of the next games coming up, but uh, I wanted to see if you had anything else you wanted to discuss before we moved on. No, I think hitting the questions would be a good idea. Perfect. Well, we had a, a question from Chase on Twitter. It's back to Troy Terry here. Uh, he said, do you think Carlisle sat Terry because he didn't want to risk injury in what was considered a war against the Kings, or because he's just Randy Carlisle taking out our leader, grip will hurt, leader grit will hurt the team? It was definitely the vet thing.
0: I, I mean, yeah. there's no other way around that. I mean, I almost feel like if Bieksa was uh, was healthy, he would have slotted in for Pedersen. That's just how much I feel that Randy Carlisle is old school and just like plays yeah. his vets because he knows he's going to get night in, night out rather than play a young guy. But I'm glad to see that uh, that that Pedersen was in, obviously, because uh, he had a decent game tonight.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I kind of agree with you, too. I think if Bieksa was healthy he probably would have slotted into this type of game because it always seems like that when the Ducks are going to play what's considered or what you think is going to be a physical game you usually see some of the smaller guys or the younger guys come out of the lineup which uh, was unfortunate to see in in Troy Terry's case hopefully he jumps into the next game I don't think it was really to avoid injury I do think it was just to kind of get that grit and and get that leadership in there that uh, Randy Kyle loves so um, moving on to Reddit now we had two questions on there uh, Turn around 08 said another strong game for the third line and Nick Ritchie. Is he turning the corner in his progression finally?
0: I want to see it the rest of the way. The effort, yeah. you know, in the right spot at the right time. Not taking dumb, dumb penalties at pivotal points in a game would also be a good thing. Uh, he didn't do it tonight, which was great. He didn't take any penalties, so that's good. I don't feel like it's a turning point yet, though I really think that this line still has some more clicking to do for a lack of a better word there I mean, but that's just kind of what we we need to see from him. They had a good a good night tonight, but we need to see it more consistently and there's some tough games ahead, so there's plenty of time to show that
1: yeah exactly it's tough to say he's turning the corner when he just has the the two goals in his last five games, so I mean it's not like he's it's not like he's looked amazing. That line is, has looked better. He obviously slotted down onto the fourth line the last game when Troy Terry came up, and he actually looked pretty good on that fourth line, but he still has a long way to go to convince a lot of people that he's kind of moving on to the next step in his progression as a player, and I feel like that's something he has to prove next season. I don't know, unless he has a strong playoffs, there's not much he can really do to prove that he's he's kind of moving into the right direction. Uh, I feel like a, a strong season next year from him is is where we can hope for, but I don't really see it coming. I I think he's kind of the player that we're going to expect from him for, I don't want to say for the rest of his career because that's a long way down the road but he kind of just seems like uh, this is what you're going to get from him at this point. Yeah. And that's
0: fine. He's going to have hot streaks which is what we saw earlier in the season when that line was really clicking. Um, And he's going to have goals here and there which is great. I mean, we just know what we got from him now. right? We know what kind of player Nick Ritchie is. It would be Just a huge surprise to me if all of a sudden he starts putting up 50 points next season. I mean, I'd love it, and I'm sure everyone else would too, but it'd be a shock to me.
1: Yeah, I, I think so, and it's not like he's going to get increased opportunities with different players next year. I don't think all of a sudden they're going to slot him on the first line with Raquel and Getzlaff, so he's going to really most realistically playing in the same spot, if not down on the fourth line, if somebody like Troy Terry or Sam Steele or somebody bumps him out of that spot and, and has a, you know has, has more offensive reduction than he can provide, so we'll have to see. I, I would like to see more from him next year, maybe even just 35-40 points, but that's that's even asking a lot, so I would just like to see some more consistency at least from him and, and not games where all you notice from him is him taking a dumb penalty. But um, Exactly. Yeah, but uh, looking into the chat here with a couple questions, uh, Drew said, uh, the big thing going forward, do they continue to play like this or do they revert back to how they played on the road trip in Canada? I think that's the big question everybody has right now.
0: I think that they're going to keep it the way they've been playing uh, tonight. They had, and I know I harped on them pretty, pretty badly, Last show about their March. I don't know we're rounding out March tonight, but they won the majority of their games this month. So, and they were majority of them are at home. So, I, th- I really feel like they have the chance here to take the next three at home and then clean up in Arizona. I think it's totally doable. The game on Sunday is not going to be an easy one. Nathan McKinnon and uh, company there have, have been having a, a decent season and they're fighting for their playoff lives as well. So, I feel like you are going to see another game just like tonight. I really do. I think it's going to be very similar in how it shakes out.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too, and it's going to be another important game if Kessler gets tasked with shutting down Nathan McKinnon. I mean, it's just it's going to be just as hard, if not harder, because uh, Kessler's been tested against fast opponents all season because of his hip injury, and uh, I feel like going against McKinnon, who's arguably one of the faster players in the National Hockey League and the way he's been playing as of late and, and really the way he's been leading the avalanche, That's going to be just as tough, if not even more difficult task than facing Anze Kopitar. But if that line can play like they did tonight, uh, I'm not as worried as I I was going into this game.
0: Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Uh, I was way more worried about this game being nastier than it really was. Like you said, there was a couple of things here and there, but it wasn't as dirty as we thought it was going to be. Um, Colorado, though, I mean... Nathan McKinnon to me is just scarier offensively than Andre Kopitar.
1: Yeah. And
0: I think I feel like um, he can definitely outskate Ryan Kessler. As we've seen him he got beat a couple of times in the game against Vancouver. I know that uh that's was it was it was it Sutter that beat him a couple of times? That guy's fast.
1: Yeah. yeah, it was. But yeah. I mean
0: McKinnon's no joke. He's on fire right now and he's my my heart trophy pick if they make the playoffs, so I really feel like that's a dangerous game for the ducks um we'll see what team shows up though they need the team that showed up tonight, and I feel like they're gonna get it because it's a home game, and this team really has that playoff fire turned on according to what we saw tonight,
1: yeah, and we'll break down that game and the remaining four games a little bit near the end of the show um getting onto to the the chat again, we still have a couple more questions so. Uh, Drew coming through in the chat saying, what do you think the long-term plan is for Marcus Pedersen? Has he earned a spot for next year at this point? And he says he saw him in Dallas. He's a big kid, just needs to fill in more.
0: That's a great question, really. Um, he has a lot of potential. He's, he's seen a lot of ice time uh, uh, this what, uh, since he came in against the game against Detroit yeah. about a month and a half ago. So he has the potential to make the team, and there's a, also the opportunity here because of what – May or may not happen with Kevin Bieksa if he gets the you know the next contract or you know, the one one year one mill that we talked about that Bosch had, but Bosch is going to retire, so there's definitely an open an open spot. Uh, he's going to have to fight for it though. I mean, there's a couple of guys in the, in the goals that would love to come up here and play in Anaheim. You're talking about uh, Jacob Larson, which we've been talking about. I feel like every show, when is he going to get a chance to come up? And even guys like Andy Lewin- uh, Walensky, who was scratched tonight, he's been called up. There's opportunity there as well. Um, I feel like he could make the team, though. I really do. He's gotten a long look. But uh, we'll see what happens. It's, it's a long summer, and training camp always brings something new. And I know the Ducks, they were really high on Jacob Larson. I mean, we, we've been talking about how we were shocked that he hasn't even seen the ice. Yeah. So Or called up. He's been passed over several times. So maybe he'll get a shot here in, in the summer. But I, I really feel like Pedersen has a good chance of making the team.
1: Yeah, I feel like he has a, a kind of a foot in front of Larsen just because of the fact that he's been called up and he's kind of stuck with the team right now. But it's really going to be between those guys. I feel like only one of them probably makes the roster out of camp if if they decide to go that route because they're both left-handed defensemen. And you know that Lindholm and Fowler are going to fill out those first two pairings. So I feel like only one of them makes it. As for Pedersen, I've liked what I've seen from him. I can't complain. He hasn't made too many big errors. He's got four points in the 17 games that he's played. And, and I feel like going off Drew's point that if he fills in a bit more, like he's 6'4", 180 right now. If uh, if he can get to like 6'4", 195, 200 at the beginning of next season, I feel like he's just going to be a completely different player. I, I mean, he's really lanky and skinny right now. Uh, if he can fill out a bit, he's going to be a pain to deal with on the ice. Uh, and it's going to really help his game, and, and he could really take his le- his game to the next level. And it'll be interesting to see if he does that because uh, he's always going to be that tall, kind of lanky guy. But I definitely think he can, you know, fill up some muscle and be a really, really difficult guy to deal with. It would be
0: really helpful for the Ducks uh, on the third pair to have that guy, you know, young, mobile, and a big guy at that to kind of you know muscle guys around a little bit because he's been pretty quiet, right? He has he is, He's not a big hitter. Um, uh, he he may, he's the guy who makes a smart play, and like you said, he hasn't made too many issues or too many issues for the Ducks in the defensive zone, despite being paired with uh, the older guys with Bosch and um, and Bx for the majority of the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I personally would love to see Larson get a shot, but I also don't want it to have to come at the cost of Marcus Pedersen. Unfortunately, it probably will end up being the case. But uh, moving on in the chat, uh, another question about Richie because it's kind of going off our discussion. I said, uh, Christopher said, is Richie's first-round pick status the only reason he's still allowed? Because all we really hear about him is, is that he still has that potential, it seems like, because of the fact that he was picked 10th overall. I think so.
0: I really yeah. feel like that's the case. Uh, Bob Murray and company don't want to admit a mistake you know, for a first-round pick. And you know the longer they go without trading him if that's their plan the lower his value is going to be because I just don't like we just got to talking about him I, you know I don't feel like he's going to be that guy that they're all hoping for him to hit 60 points and you know be a power forward and, and score I just I got to feel like that's the only reason why they're just, they're just okay with where he's at and he's going to be a third or fourth line guy for this team I, like we said we'd be shocked if they, if they traded him
1: yeah I don't know the guy who always comes to mind when we talk about guys who were drafted high and, and didn't really pan out, is, is Neil Yakupov. And I know it's a different situation because Yakupov was drafted first overall, but it always seems like that. I mean, the Oilers were reluctant to give up on him because they always felt like if he had a change of scenery, he was all of a sudden going to become this guy who they thought they were drafting first overall. And maybe I feel like that's what the Ducks have, uh, you know, kind of feel with, with Nick Ritchie, is that if they trade him at this point, he's still a young guy, if he just gets to change the scenery, maybe he'll become that you 50-60 know, point guy that they were hoping for. And, and I think that's obviously too much to ask. But when you're you know when you a GM and you draft a guy, you kind of hope a lot for, for him to, to turn out to the guy you expected from him. And it's tough to let him go because there's always that chance that he could go to another team and all of a sudden fulfill that potential and become the player you expected. So I feel like that has to deal with it a lot. I feel like that's on the mind of a lot of fans, and I think that's why he gets a lot of flack as well. I mean, you know, there's a lot of other guys the Ducks could have drafted at number ten, and and you know, his production isn't awful for an NHL player, but for a guy who was drafted so high, it is.
0: What's 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 the point total for Nick Richie right now? Do you know?
1: I just, uh, I don't know if this is updated based off the goal tonight. I think he scored his ninth tonight, right? Yeah, so, so he, has, he would okay, be he 26 at 26 points. Yes, 26 points in 72 games, which is uh, two away from his career high set last year. And he has five – well, he, in five less games, he only has four games to break it. He'd have to get to three points in his next four games to pass his career high. So – I mean, I Neil mean,
0: Yakupov's played 57 games this year and has nine goals and 16 points so
1: <laughs> wow
0: <laughs> I want to compare that to <laughs> Richie's got a beat on points but also games played um,
1: who would you rather yeah. have <laughs> Nick Richie
0: oh, Nick or... Richie yeah. I feel like yeah that. I like the physicality of the game I'll give me that guy every night I want the guy who can throw a punch and, and make a hit and then bury a puck uh, that's my favorite type of player right that's like your prototypical yeah. hockey player if you were going to build a hockey player from scratch I know everyone's like oh Connor McDavid's got all the speed and he's dazzling and amazing and I agree with you. He is. But my favorite type of hockey player is like a Brendan Shanahan like yeah. or a Ryan Getzlaff, right? I mean, this guy's a beast. And the game's less physical than it is now. But, I mean, I remember growing up watching those power 4s They're my favorite player.
1: Yeah. And, and speaking of Ryan Getzlaff, we had a question on Reddit from Godslav, who said uh, – long question, but I'll read it all. He said, been listening to you guys for a couple months now but never really commented. I wanted to hear more about Godslav." How great has he been this year? And has this league seen a better passer since Gretzky? Especially since the uh, he leads the league in assists per game. Man,
0: that's putting him yeah. up there it's an elite <laughs> company. Because uh, when, I, when I think of elite passing, the first person I honestly think of is either Joe Thornton or Sidney Crosby. Uh, Getzloff's up there too. Getzloff's a beast. Uh, he's definitely from six seven center, right? Would you put him yeah. on that high. I feel like, you know, he's I'm looking up
1: right now uh, assist per game leaders uh, in the, over their career in the NHL. I'm trying to see where he ranks. But I, I feel like, you know, right now he's definitely one of the top passers in the game. Uh, I feel like Joe Thornton is still up there. Even, you know, he's been hurt this year, and he's obviously getting a lot older as well. He's uh, a little bit older than Getzloff is, so you don't see it as much. But when when Thornton was in his prime, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any question to who the, the best passer in the game is. All right, so I pulled it up here. I pulled it up. So here is the assist per game over their careers. So Wayne Gretzky leads the way at 1.32 assists per game, so, which is insane. Uh, Lemieux insane. is second, 1.129. You've got Bobby Orr, Peter Forsberg. And then we have our first current player on the list. I, I, I'm going to get a little bit of a trivia. Who do you think it is? Who do you think the current player in the NHL right now that leads As fifth overall in career assists per game.
0: Oh lord!
1: Um, At least give me the conference. Eastern Conference.
0: You know, I should have figured that one. Um, (laughs) Eastern Conference player currently suits up still right now. Yes. Assists per game. I'm gonna go Sid.
1: Yep. Yep. Sid has point eight one six. Points per game that puts uh, assists again that puts him in front of guys like Peter Statsny, Adam Oates, Paul Coffey, Marcel Dion, Dale Howardchuk, and Joe Sakic. <laughs> so yeah. he's in he's in pretty some pretty elite company. As for current NHLers on this list, Nick Backstrom is at eighteenth with .724. Thanks, Ovi. Yep, exactly. Evgeny Malkin <laughs> at point seven one two. He's twenty first. Underrated. Uh, yeah, and just under Steve Eiserman and Guy Lafleur is Joe Thornton at twenty six with point six nine, and then our boy Ryan Getzloff sitting right behind Joe Thornton at point six eighty four for his career. So he's top thirty all time in assists per game. Which is insane. Like yeah. there's
0: been thousands of hockey players that have played this game over the years. Yeah. And Ryan Getzloff is no joke when it comes to his abilities. Um He is one of the best for sure, right? I mean, we just proved it right there with the the assists per game. But Sid's got to be the guy. I I just feel like Sid's the best.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and it's almost like because Sid does so much that he doesn't get enough credit for being one of the best passers in the league because he's still a guy who can score like 30, 40 goals. uh, And he just does everything well. I feel like he doesn't get enough credit. I I think you hear more about guys like Backstrom, Thornton, and Getzlaff because they really just – Th- that's what they do. Their bread and butter is putting up assists and setting up guys. They usually don't hit around more than fifteen to twenty goals on a season. So I feel like they're a little bit up there. And I, I guess if you can say they're underrated, Malkin and Crosby kind of get underrated in their passing ability because they they end up scoring more goals usually than the other guys on that list. Oh, Malkin for sure is underrated. He didn't even make the
0: NHL top one hundred, which is a joke.
1: <laughs> Joe Thornton didn't need it, did he? Or did he? I don't think he did.
0: You don't think, I don't, man, maybe Jumbo Joe, maybe Jumbo Joe didn't
1: make it. Cause I always, I, don't look I, that up. I think I've always seen that people are saying like, you know, everybody says Malkin is that like number one hundred one. that's like the running joke is he's a, uh, of the 101st best. Yeah. No, manager. Joe Thornton. You're right. Yeah. So I thought I heard that about, uh, about Joe Thornton as well, but going back to the chat here, uh, Matt said that Adam Oates was the best since Gretzky. Uh, he has the numbers to at least put him into that discussion. Dean said Getzlaff is in his own league when he doesn't bring the Arby's turnovers with his drop passes, which we haven't seen in a while. Uh, Matt and Christopher saying Backstrom is a guy that they had thought, uh, when I asked you the question about Crosby, would be the guy from the Eastern Conference. So again, Crosby getting a little bit underrated than that. Um, and then Gordon saying Getzlaff is smart with his physicality, though he's not just out here boarding and cross-checking, he's controlling the play and mus- muscling other players to his pace, and I think we've mentioned that multiple times, the fact that Getzlaff can just slow the play down, it's something that uh, not many guys can do
0: No, he can just shrug you off with one arm too, like that's in stride just grab you and shove you away from him so yeah, he's, he really knows how to use all the tools that he's been given and he does it well,
1: he's a beast yeah, uh, we had a, a question from Matt asking about the CISPER game. Uh, oh no, he was asking how was uh, Keith, how was Duncan Keith in the NHL top 100? Uh, winning I, <laughs> the Blackhawks. I mean, he yeah,
0: he's been great. But the one that the one that I I roll, if you're going to put Taves in, you got to have Malkin. Yes. I'm sorry, Malkin's a better player than yeah. Jonathan Taves. But Taves made it because leader Chicago, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Oh yeah, Captain Serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got all these captains. It's all about that leadership. leadership. Leadership gets
1: you into the top 100. Didn't you know that? Yeah. No. Totally. I should just go look up. I'm sure there's a stat on Hockey Reference for leadership. There's, <laughs> there's got to be by now. I mean, yeah, uh, it's,
0: it's the Mark Messier Leadership Award, and I think Taves has won it every year, right?
1: Yeah, no, but I mean like an actual running stat to track <laughs> a guy's stat. leadership because it seems to be valuable, the fact that he got into the top 100 literally because of his leadership. I mean, it wasn't because of points, uh, and it wasn't because of anything else. It's because he was the captain of a successful team that won three Stanley Cups, and they felt like they needed to put him in there. I mean, that list is kind of a running joke at this point, right? I mean, not many people take that too seriously. When you have guys like Malkin and Thornton out of the list, you've got Keith, and Taves on the list. Yeah, this league does so many
0: dumb things. This is my favorite league. They do so many dumb things. <laughs> so much to talk about with them.
1: <laughs> so I'm wondering if you saw this last game. Uh, it wasn't the Ducks game, but it was against uh, It was the Chicago game the other day. Scott Foster was an emergency goaltender oh, yeah. who got into the game. Uh, Dean was asking in the chat, he's curious about Ch- the chances Scott Foster gets a look by a team in need of a goaltender after stopping seven out of seven shots last night at, at 36 years old.
0: Even stopped him by Big Buff. He made a couple he, of saves on
1: he some made guys. He made a cross-crease save on Paul Statsny off a great pass from Patrick Line, which was like a highlight reel save, which we'd probably be talking about if it was anybody but an emergency league uh, emergency backup goaltender who's 36 years old, so... I don't think he gets any looks for any team. I mean, really, nobody's looking for a guy who's played 14 minutes of uh, NHL time and has made uh, seven saves in the National Hockey League. So, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe Edmonton is in that much need of a goaltender or Arizona, but I don't think uh, I don't think uh, Scott Foster's getting any calls anytime soon.
0: No, I don't think so. It's a great story, and I hate the Blackhawks yeah. with a passion. But I mean, I applaud him on that. I thought it was great. Um, They even had his name played up in the locker room. The media loved it. The team loved it. Um, It was all a great, just a great spectacle, I thought. I thought it was awesome. Um, And it's so funny, though. Like, media is hilarious. They come out and say, like, oh, beer league guy suits up for the NHL. And it's like, okay, yeah. But, you know, he plays in the top of the beer leagues, right? He's not playing where I would play or my buddies would play. Like, he's playing at the high level. And you have to have a resume, a hockey resume, for you yeah. to be an emergency <laughs> backup. You're not just some couch yeah. potato that they pull off, you know, pull into the, the arena and put you on pads. Um, like, he's got skill. I mean, obviously, not, he's not an NHL or he would be in the NHL, but I feel like um, he's not going to be getting too many calls for sure. There's so many other guys that are, that are ready to come in, but uh, it was a great story. I loved it.
1: Yeah, but uh, let's let's kind of wrap things up here and go and talk about the remaining four games of the season for the Ducks. So they've got three of them at home, and the last one of the season against Arizona is on the road. How do you think they match up in these next four games, starting with Colorado?
0: Um, I feel like they match up pretty well. I'm not too worried About um, the way that they're, that they, if they play the game they played tonight, the next three games, at least the next four games, I know that surprisingly, um, I feel like that Arizona game is going to be tough just because, for whatever reason, they decided to play decent hockey and Auntie Rant has been been pretty damn good as of late. Um, This Colorado team's got a lot to prove and they're in the same spot as Anaheim, right? They're just, they're fighting for every point. That's a dangerous game for them. Uh, Bruce coming to town on Wednesday. Ah, that's a tough one to judge. How do you feel about Brucey and his team coming to Anaheim? Honestly, the Wild. I know that they haven't been much talked about. It's not like they're this, a super scary team. They're missing some, um, what do you call it, the, the star power. They have yeah. good guys on the team. They don't have that star power coming into the lineup. They don't have a Getzloff. They don't have, you know for whoever else you want to talk about, like a Nathan McKinnon, like Colorado does.
1: Yeah, they've they always kind of been an interesting team where they've always been in the mix. But like you said, they don't have that guy. They just have a lot of, I guess you consider depth players in a sense. I mean, Zach Parise at one time was considered a star, but he's been hurt most of the season. And then, you know, he's kind of regressed a bit. But they've got a lot of guys who just produce points out of out of nowhere. Essentially. I mean, Jason Zucker has 61 points this year, 31 goals, 30 assists. It's kind of like a Raquel type of season for him. Eric Stahl has 40 goals and 74 points this year, which is unbelievable. He's back to the player that uh, you would expected back in the early 2000s. And uh, Mikel Grandlin has 63 points in 72 games. So they've got guys who can hurt you. They've got guys all over the lineups. It's a pretty deep team. Uh, they just kind of have some holes in certain areas, and Dubnik hasn't necessarily been as strong as they would have expected from him. But... They're, they're, I think they're one of the scariest teams, if not probably the hardest matchup the Ducks have left. And, and that's not to put anything against Colorado, but you know Colorado is really Nathan McKinnon or Bust. And, and that's pretty much it for them. And I think the Ducks might get an easier matchup considering the, the Avalanche play the Ducks and then they play L.A. the day after. So we might see Jonathan Bernier or we might see Varlamov. So I think that could be an easier matchup. But this one against Minnesota is definitely going to be the toughest one. It's going to be an interesting matchup. The, the games against Minnesota are always tight games. They're always difficult games, but I think the Ducks the have last The last one was a shootout, right? Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. So they're always kind of boring defensive games, but I, I think the Ducks have the advantage of being at home, and if they can play like they did tonight against L.A., where they don't necessarily have to wow anybody offensively, but they take advantage of their chances and play a solid defensive game, I, I think that's how you beat uh, Minnesota. Yeah, they just
0: beat up the Stars last night, five to two. Yeah. So, but the Stars you're are getting doing.
1: beat up by everybody.
0: So <laughs> that's what I, no, that's what I'm saying. though. so the the easier matchups, yeah, are probably Phoenix and Dallas. The tougher ones are Colorado and the Wild. Um, so I got to ask you, man. I got to put you on the spot again. I'm going to go through all four remaining games, and you got to give me the uh, the W or the L in each one of these. I'm going to hold you to it. Sunday, Colorado is at a win or a loss for Anaheim.
1: I'm, I'm going to say it's a win. I, I feel like this game is going to give them a lot of motivation, and they know it's a must-game win as well. This this game, this game, team always shows up in those must-win games, and I think this Colorado game is going to be no different than the game tonight. Obviously, that catcher line is going to have to show up again if they're the, the, the line that gets matched up against Nathan McKinnon, but I, I feel like they can get it done. I, I think it's going to be a close game, but I, I think it's one they can pull it a win.
0: Did you see Matt Angel in chat? Said stall has 40 goals because I know that I said I was asking how you <laughs> feel about it. But Varlamov got injured, so we're most likely going to see Jonathan Bernier.
1: Yeah, which will be interesting. Um, you know, I, well, we could. I, I mean, I don't know. Again, if, if Varlamov is injured, then we're either going to see Bernier or whoever thinking. Third goalie is, which I'm checking right now, is Andrew Hammond. <laughs> oh, the hamburger. So it all depends on who Colorado wants to play uh, against either the Ducks or L.A. So we could see Jonathan Bernier or we could see Andrew Hammond. Uh, Andrew Hammond's played one game this year. He lost, but uh, he played pretty good against Philadelphia. So I don't know. I don't think there's any <clears throat> any difference between the two. I think just right now because of the lack of games that Andrew Hammond's played, I'd probably rather play him. You know, he hasn't had a lot of experience in the NHL this season. So, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I think it'll be interesting. There's always a story there if you play Jonathan Bernier, but he also has played against the Kings as well. So, uh, it's kind of hard to predict at this point. All
0: right. Now we move on to Wednesday against the Minnesota Wild. Are you chalking this one up as a win as well?
1: This is a tough game. Um, I think the Ducks, you know, they're, they're right on par. I think they're on the same level with Minnesota. They're not far off in points. I think it's going to be a close game. I give the Ducks a slight advantage for being at home, so I think it'll be a win. It could be one of those games that go to overtime, but I, I honestly think they pick up the win.
0: All right, now we're talking Dallas on Friday. That's got to be a W.
1: Yeah, see, I, I, <laughs> Dallas has lost, let's see, uh, nine of their last ten games. <laughs> so yeah, the, buddy, isn't
0: there only yeah. win the overtime game?
1: Yes, uh, they won in overtime against Philadelphia. It's so very, that was yeah, on a uh, hell of
0: a play, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, and their only other wins uh, in that month came against the Ducks on the 9th of March and against St. Louis in overtime on the third of March. So they've lost a lot of games. I don't really see it turning around for them. It is their uh, second last game of the season. They play the Kings the next day. Unless they turn things around, you know, I, I it has to be a win for Anaheim. But I feel like it's going to be one of those trap games where the Ducks. You know, might be in a position where they're already in a playoff spot if they get those wins against Colorado and Minnesota. And I honestly, I honestly think it's going to be a loss because I, I feel like they're just. It's going to be like the Vancouver game where it's an expected win, but the Ducks are in a position now where you know they don't necessarily need those points if they if they win the two games like they said they would. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a loss. That's a tough one, and then. I don't like that.
0: I don't want a loss on Friday. (laughs) That's good. That's not good. Going into Saturday, the final game of the regular season, hopefully not the final game of our Ducks season. We're going to be playing in Arizona against the Coyotes, Um, a much different team than we'd expect to see. How do you feel this shakes out for the Ducks?
1: Yeah, I mean, Arizona's been playing better as of late, uh, but they're still still not a great team. Um, Right. And I think this is going to be one of those games where they probably call up a lot of younger guys, and, and they just kind of see what they can, you know, see what they they can get from some of these guys who've been playing in the AHL all season. It should be a win for the Ducks. I mean, it is a back-to-back game, so we probably don't see Gibby unless they they obviously need the points from this game. Um, I, I I I have to chalk up as a win. I, I'm not going to say they're going to lose against Arizona. I think it's going to be tougher than it uh, than it seems, but it's a game I think they can win. It is in Arizona, so it does. It does factor into it a bit, but I think it's a win for the Ducks. So it's it's a win, a win, a loss, and a win. So the Ducks would get six points
0: out of this. Yes, and that would be, we have to really? I mean, the way this all shakes out, six points was just nerve wracking. Yeah, but yeah, six, six, six just points was you,
1: you would beat uh, you'd beat Colorado, so you would uh, you would have ninety five points with three games remaining. Colorado would have ninety two, so the max they could get is ninety eight. Uh, and then you go out and you get those two wins I put you at ninety nine, so you're in the playoffs. So it might, it might come so down to, to win that last three game. Of four? Yeah, I mean, essentially, yeah. I mean, well, they have to be Colorado, and then they have to uh, they have to win the two of the remaining three games after that to get in. Uh, that that's how I mean. I guess that's how it shakes out right now. Yeah, you you beat Colorado, then you win two of three, and uh, you're in the playoffs. Uh, it's it's going to come down possibly to that last game, though.
0: Well, you're going to have to either curse me. Or bless me at the end of this week because I'm going to the game on Wednesday and I'm going to the game on Friday. So <laughs> if I'm there and they lose both those games, then you can blame me on Saturday or on the, during during the post-game of each one of those shows. But it's going to be an interesting week. It's going to be a nerve-wracking week. It's exciting time, though, man. I love this time of year for hockey um, as much as anything else really I don't really think there's another sport that even comes close to the type of excitement that happens that happens with the NHL playoffs it's the best time of year
1: yeah yeah I'm not going to break down like different leagues and stuff like that but the NBA never really comes close because the best teams are just that much better than everybody else so it doesn't really matter the race getting in the NHL is just on a different level because pretty much any team that gets gets in can win it there's obviously some elite teams but this race especially for the Ducks, just being involved has been insane because we haven't seen it in a long time in Anaheim where the Ducks are kind of battling to get into the playoffs and we don't really know yet if they're going to make it. Obviously, today's win was huge and it puts them in a good position to get in, but there's still four games remaining and any, anything can happen in these remaining four games. There's a big one coming up against the Avalanche on Sunday and, and this is another season-defining game and, and it's going to be just as nerve-wracking going into that game as it was going into the game against L.A. today because a loss there, you lose that game in hand against L.A., and you get Colorado picking up two points and moving in front of you in the standings, and then you're kind of playing from behind and you're hoping other teams lose. That's (laughs) scary.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's time for us to wrap it up. We all love tonight's game. Duck's coming out on top thanks to Ricard Raquel's overtime winner against the Kings. We will talk to you guys on Sunday. If you haven't already, I know we say it every show, but uh, we appreciate everything you guys have done for us on social media, hopping in on the chats. If you guys, if you haven't already, can you please hop into iTunes, subscribe, and then leave us a review that helps us out. Give us a five-star and say something nice. We love you guys for it. And uh, Hit us up on Twitter. Stay tuned for the three-star leaderboard. I'm sure Eddie will be working on that tonight or tomorrow morning. To get that up for you guys, we'll have a grand prize winner for the month of March. We'll be be announcing that soon so stay tuned for that if you've been in the running um well who is leading right now going into it
1: yes we have um, you know, yes ricky bradley was in leading going in tonight i'm gonna pull up the leaderboard real quick because he had nine points going into tonight and i believe kestrel scott was in second at seven tied with somebody else and there was a bonus point tonight so there was a there's four points up for grabs so there's a lot of opportunity to get in so let's see um so yeah, so it was uh, Ricky Bradley was in first with nine. Uh, McCann is right, and Kestrel Scott were with seven, and then there was six people with six points. So there's a there's a ton of people in the mix, and and it's pretty exciting because we're you know we're still working out the details with the prize. But if, if you guys saw over on Ducks and Pucks earlier today uh, that the, we've uh, we've got a partnership now with Cool Hockey, and there's a lot of exciting things coming down the road with that. We're hoping to be able to incorporate some of the prizes that are going to come along with that this month. Uh, Those are still in the works, so hopefully we can get that going for the winner uh, for this month. If not, we'll still have some cool prizes for whichever person ends up winning uh, based on the results from tonight. If not, look for some, some prizes from them or other prizes like that down the road, continuing into the playoffs and, of course, at the start of next season where we can really kick things off.
0: That's it. You guys heard it here from Eddie. He'll have everything up to you guys tomorrow morning, and we'll talk to you guys on Sunday. Have a great night.